Welcome to the podcast of Redeemer Baptist Church of Panama. We hope that you enjoy the sermons and other audio provided by us. Feel free to share what you find here, and we hope that it will be beneficial to you as you seek to know and follow Christ. We need a vision of a big God. When uh, the doctors say that your husband has been denied a transplant, you need a vision of a big God. When you find out your child has overdosed and died, you need a vision of a big God. When you have rebellious children and they're doing things and you just can't seem to talk any sense into them, you need a vision of a big God. When your finances are a wreck and you just don't know how you're going to make it through the month, or maybe even just the week, you need a vision of a big God. And when you struggle with sin, you need a vision of a big God. Thomas Chalmers, a Puritan, spoke about the expulsive power of a new affection. That is, in our battle with sin, we need to have a a deep love for God that comes into us and expels out all of our other desires. It, It will not work just to work by sheer willpower to try to refrain from sin. But what we need is the love of God to just come and overwhelm us so that it expels out all other loves. We need a vision of a big God. And Isaiah, here as he's called to be a prophet... He has a vision of a big God. We'll read beginning in verse 1. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up, and the train of His robe filled the temple. Above Him stood the seraphim. Each had six wings. With two he covered his face, with two he covered his feet, and with two he flew. And one called to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of His glory. And the foundations of the threshold shook at the voice of Him who called, and the house was filled with smoke. And I said, Woe is me, for I am lost. I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Then one of the seraphim flew to me, having in his hand a burning coal that he had taken with the tongs from the altar. And he touched my mouth and said, Behold, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away and your sin atoned for. 
And I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send and who will go for us? Then I said, Here am I. Send me. And he said, Go and say to this people, Keep on hearing, but do not perceive. Keep on seeing, but do not perceive. Make the heart of this people dull and their ears heavy and blind their eyes, lest they see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their hearts and turn and be healed. Then I said, How long, O Lord? And he said, Until cities lie waste without inhabitant and houses without people. And the land is desolate waste. And the Lord removes people far away. And the forsaken places are many in the midst of the land. And though a tenth remain in it, it will be burned again like a terebinth or an oak whose stump remains when it is felled. The holy seed is its stump. Let's pray. Father, I thank You for Your Word. Thank you that in your holiness, your infinite wisdom, and in your infinite grace, you condescended to speak to us. Father, I pray that you would not allow us to be like Isaiah's audience but that you would give us eyes to see and ears to hear and hearts to understand. Father, I, I, I resonate with Isaiah. I am a man of unclean lips and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. But I have been cleansed by the perfect sacrifice of Jesus at an altar that's greater than any that was ever in any temple. Father, give me strength and give me grace as I preach your word. In Jesus' name, amen. In the year the King Uzziah died. Now, who was King Uzziah? King Uzziah was the king of Judah. And we need to think back and see how we got here. Judah, if you remember, was one of the two kingdoms within Israel. David had ruled over all of Israel, all the twelve tribes of Israel. And God had promised David, I will, allow, I will give you a son who will sit on your throne forever. God told David, I will build a house for you. And and that idea is he's going to build a dynasty for David. And he's going to always have a son who would rule on his throne forever. The next generation, we have Solomon, who is known as the wisest man in the Bible. The wisest man who ever lived. And yet... This wisest man who ever lived raised a foolish son, Rehoboam. Rehoboam, the next in the line of David, 
When he became king, he didn't listen to the wisdom of the, of the elders. And he raised taxes. <laughs> and the people cried out. And they rebelled and it split the kingdom in two. So you had Israel in the north and you have Judah in the south. And God's people were divided. And the king, the son of David, ruled only over two tribes instead of the twelve. It's this line, this line of David that King Uzziah came from. Now, King Uzziah had been king for 50 years. He had been king so long that most of the people around probably never knew of another king. He had been king over a time of prosperity. He had been king over a time when there was political stability and peace. So you can imagine what the people were thinking when this king, who had been king their entire lives, who ruled over prosperity and peace, died. There's an uncertainty. What's going to happen? Now that there's going to be a new king, what's going to happen? There's instability. There's worry. And so what did Isaiah need? He needed a vision of a big God. It says, In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne. The king had died, but the Lord was sitting on a throne. The true king. The Lord was king. When everything was up in the air, when it was unstable, when they didn't know what was going to happen, Isaiah saw a vision that the Lord was still in control. We need to remember that when our lives feel like the foundation has been attacked, when everything we have always known seems to be falling apart right before our very eyes, we need a vision of Almighty God sitting on His throne. He's in control. I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne high and lifted up, and the train of His robe filled the temple. What's the train of His robe? Just the the bottom, just the corner, just a little bitty corner of His robe filled the whole temple. Little bitty piece. Little bitty piece filled the whole temple. Above Him stood seraphim. These seraphim were angelic beings. And from the word seraph, we understand they're, they're, they, the, the word seraph means burning. So I believe these seraphim would have been these bright, shining, angelic beings. It tells us that each one had six wings. 
With two, they covered their face. With two, they covered their feet. And with two, they flew. And we think back. The Old Testament tells us that no one can look at God and live. And Moses, even Moses, when Moses asked, show me your glory. Moses had to be hidden behind the cleft of the rock as the Lord passed by. And the text tells us that he only saw glimpses of the backside. These angels, these angelic beings that were flaming, and they must have been magnificent. They had to cover their face because God was so holy and so great, they couldn't bear to look at Him. And they, with two, they covered their feet. Again, Moses, whenever Moses was before the burning bush, he was told, take off your sandals for the place where you're standing is holy ground. These angelic beings that were in the presence of God had to cover their feet. And they flew so as not to touch the holy ground that the Lord inhabited. And it says, one called out to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of His glory. I see a contrast here. The train of His robe, just a little bitty corner of His robe filled the temple. And the whole earth was filled with His glory whole earth was filled with His glory. And the angels cried out to each other, Holy, holy, holy. In the Hebrew language, if you want to emphasize a word, you have to, to the maximum possible ability, you say it three times. So as these angels were crying out, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. They weren't saying He was just holy. And not just holy, holy. The Lord was holy, holy, holy. (laughs) To the maximum possibility of holiness. Holy, holy. Holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. If you notice, if you're following along in your your Bibles, you'll see when it says, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord, the word Lord there is in all capital letters. When you are reading along and you see the Lord referenced and it says capital L and then lowercase O-R-D, That is the way that our Bibles are telling you. This is whenever it's saying Adonai. The word that means Lord. But when we come to this where it's all caps, it's not just emphasizing it, saying, the Lord! No. This is saying that in the original text, this was the divine name. This was Yahweh. So, holy, holy, 
holy is Yahweh of hosts. And what is a host? The armies. The armies of the Lord. He is the armies, uh, the Lord of the armies of heaven. You know what? When we are in our time of need, when we are feeling like our worlds are shaken, we need to have confidence in the God of armies. We need to have that confidence in the God who commands all of the armies of heaven who can come to help us in our time of need. We need to have confidence in that God. Then it says, And the foundations of the threshold shook at the voice of Him who called. Who was talking? It was the angels, right? It was the, it was the, the seraphim that was talking, saying, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. It was the angel that was so loud and so magnificent that the thresholds of this temple began to shake. Just imagine if it was the Lord that was talking. (laughs) If the angels made the place shake, how much greater and more glorious the Lord. And the house was filled with smoke. And I said, woe is me. We often sing songs that take being in the presence of God lightly. Just to be in your presence. As if it's something that would make us happy. (laughs) When we read a description of being in the presence of the Holy One, Isaiah was bowled over. Woe is me! Woe is me! I I couldn't stand to be in the presence of the Holy One. He says, "I I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. Isaiah could not be in the presence of this holy God Because he was recognizing his sin. And when we stand before a holy God, the first thing on our mind, when we are close to God, we should be ever more aware of our own sense of our sin. Just like Isaiah. And have to drive us to confession and repentance. Woe is me, for I am lost. I am a man of unclean lips. And I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. He's saying, I've got a filthy mouth, and so does everyone around me. I'm no better than the other people. If you really understand this text, Isaiah 6, if you really understand the holiness of God, and I, I got to fear and tremble just to stand up here. I'm no better than anybody else. I'm a sinner just like everybody else. I got to tremble at the presence of 
God's Word. I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips, for my eyes have seen a king. You're reminded again, Isaiah, he's bowled over because he's seen the king, the one seated on the throne. When the earthly king had died, when everything was unstable, Isaiah saw the king. Then something happened. Then one of the seraphim flew to me, having in his hand a burning coal that he had taken with the tongs from the altar. And he touched my mouth with it and said, Behold, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away and your sin atoned for. I'm not one to want to make this into some kind of an allegory as if the altar stands for Jesus. However, (laughs) there is some symbolism that is pointing to Jesus. Not an allegory, but there is some symbolism in this text. What is an altar? It's the place of sacrifice. It's the place where you, 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 burn, you, 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 you slaughter a lamb or a goat or some kind of, of sacrificial animal and you burn it on that altar to atone for sin. And the sacrificial system of the Old Testament, David even said himself, The blood of bulls and goats could not atone for sin. It could not take away sin. They always pointed forward to a greater sacrifice. The Lamb of God. Jesus who would come and be that sacrifice on an altar that Hebrews talks about in the heavenlies. The Lamb of God who the Bible says was slain before the foundation of the world. And as Isaiah sees this vision of the holy God who's big and high and exalted, he cannot stand in the presence of this. But a seraphim takes a coal from the altar and comes and touches his mouth with it. He said, I'm a man of unclean lips. And his mouth is touched with it. And the seraphim preaches to him and says, your guilt is taken away and your sin atoned for We cannot stand in the presence of a holy God unless we have the same experience as Isaiah. We have to be cleansed. We have to have our sins atoned for. We have to have our sin atoned for. 
And the only way that can be done is by placing our faith in Jesus, the Lamb of God who died for us upon the cross and rose again. And Isaiah says, And I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send and who will go for us? Then he said, Here am I. Then I said, Here am I. Send me. And he said, Go and say to this people. After Isaiah is called, after Isaiah is cleansed, he is called. After cleansing comes calling. Isaiah, he stood before the presence of a holy God. He he was convicted of his sin. And then he was cleansed by a sacrifice that he had nothing to do with. And then he was called to send a message. That's what we are called to do. When we have been cleansed, If we have placed our faith in Jesus, then our sin has been taken away, our guilt has been taken away, and we are called to take the message of the cross, the gospel to the nations, to our community, and to the whole world. That is our calling, but we have to keep the order straight. First cleansing, then calling. It isn't enough just to do good works to somehow try to make ourselves good enough for God. We can volunteer for all kinds of things. We can be a pillar in our community. But it's all for naught if we haven't first yet been cleansed by the blood of Jesus. After cleansing comes calling. And notice, the Lord tells him, go and say to this people, and then we have a block of the information what he's supposed to say. I want to take note of that. I don't want to just pass over that. Isaiah was told the message, what he was supposed to say. I'm going to look at that in a minute, what, it, what the content of that was. But God told him exactly what he was supposed to say. The reason I want to make a big deal out of that is sometimes people want to get creative. And so by wanting to be creative, I, I mean, there's a place for creativity, but we don't want to tinker with the message. And so we cannot water things down or leave parts of the message out. God told Isaiah, this is what you say to the people. And if if they're offended by it, it doesn't mean you change your message. This is what you say. And now we'll look at what he said. Go and say to this people, keep on hearing, but don't understand. Keep on seeing, but do not perceive. Make the heart of this people dull and their ears heavy and blind their eyes, lest they see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their hearts 
and turn and be healed. This is hard to understand. Stand, just as a preacher, putting myself in Isaiah's position, God calling me into the ministry and saying, go and preach, this is the message, no one's going to listen to you. You're going to preach, you're going to give your life in a place, and you'll have no results. That's what he was telling Isaiah. From that we need to realize... Our responsibility is in faithfulness, not in the results. For one, we don't know what the results are going to be. God was at work behind all of this that was going on with Isaiah. Isaiah was not going to know everything that was in God's mind. He was responsible for his part to play. And God told him, go and preach to these people who aren't going to listen to you. And Isaiah says exactly the same thing that I would want to say. How long? <laughs> How long, oh Lord? I want to know what I'm getting into before I sign up for this. And the Lord answers, get this, this is going to be really encouraging. This has just blessed your heart. Until the cities lay waste. And are without inhabitant, and the houses without people, and the land's a desolate waste. Just got to feel the warm fuzzies there. <laughs> and the Lord removes his people far away, and the forsaken places are many in the midst of the land. I think Isaiah, by the time he's finished saying all that, he thinks, I get the picture. <laughs> and then. In verse 13, if that's not bad enough, (laughs) he says, and though a tenth remain in it, after all that, it'll be burned again. (laughs) It'll be burned again. It's going to get bad. There's going to be nobody left. And then it'll be burned again. Like a terebinth tree or an oak whose stump remains when it's felled. got a tree I just cut down in the backyard and uh, got a stump about this high and I poured oil on it and I've tried to light it and it doesn't look any different than when I started. <laughs> I'm just trying and trying to get rid of this stump. No luck. Um, and maybe you've seen this phenomenon where there's a stump. Tree's been cut down. And then new life begins to branch out from the stump. That's what we see in the next line. The holy seed is its stump. God's people were going to be cut off like a tree that's cut down and all that's left is the stump. And He says the holy seed is the stump. Think back about the seed. The holy seed. What is this holy seed? We think back to Genesis chapter 3. 
when the fall happened and God cursed the land and He said to the woman, I will put enmity between your seed and His seed. Speaking of the serpent. And He says that the seed of the woman is going to come one day and going to crush the serpent's head. The holy seed is the answer to that promise to Eve. There was going to come one day a seed of the woman who would come and crush the serpent's head. And Abraham was promised a son, a seed, when he was old. He was 90 years old. I'm sorry. (laughs) And he was promised a baby. And God gave them Isaac, the holy seed. And then David was promised a son, a seed, a descendant who would sit on a throne forever. As we come to the first verses of this chapter, we think, as the people must have been thinking, The son of David has died. We're all going to get sent into exile. How is God going to keep His promises? How is God going to be faithful to His promises? And the Lord answers Isaiah, the holy seed is in the stump. People are going to be destroyed, sent into exile. There's going to be nobody left. Yet one day, a remnant would come back to the land of Israel. They would rebuild the temple. They would repopulate the land. And a few hundred years would pass. And a baby would be born in Bethlehem. Who would be the son of David. The promise to Abraham. The seed of the woman. Who would grow up Never sin. Perfectly holy. Just as the Father. And He would die a gruesome death on a cross. And raise three days later. And one day, we'll see that vision that Jane read from from Revelation 5. When in heaven, the Lamb who was slain will receive the worship from every tribe and every tongue and every nation under heaven. For Isaiah, it seemed bad. It seemed horrible. He did not know how his life, he didn't know how his world was going to shape up. It did not fit his preconceived idea of what his circumstances should be. And yet the Lord was faithful to His promises. And Isaiah could trust that because he had a vision of a big God. And all of us come to a point in our lives when our world does not seem to be making sense. The things we could count on before we can't count on any longer. 
We feel like the world is falling apart. How are we going to be sustained through that? We need to know that there is a big God who sits on the throne, who keeps His promises, and He is reigning in glory. We need a vision of a big God. Thank you for listening to this message from Redeemer Baptist Church of Panama. For more information, please visit us at RedeemerBaptistPanama.com or you can like us on Facebook.